2: Hello there, movie truthers, and greetings from Rotterdam. It's Michael Leader here, sitting with David Jenkins. Hey there, reporting from the International Film Festival of Rotterdam. David, how are you feeling?
3: I'm feeling good. Yeah, it's uh, quite brisk out, and uh, mm-hmm. we've got some uh, podcasts that we're going to be recording while we're here over a kind of lovely long weekend, and uh, we've got lots of uh, films to see. I mean, one of the, one of the great things about this film festival um, is that we have the schedule here, and it is this kind of gigantic bible of of movies Mm -hmm. and like you you, you've got like we we, kind of counted them up last night and you've kind of got 20 options at any one time so (laughs) you know you really have to kind of you kind of spoilt for choice but then there's also like a real sense of like every film you see is like you're having kind of 19 times FOMO Mm -hmm. at the same time because uh yeah, you're missing out on something. It's an absolute
2: dream for someone like me who loves to come to festivals and just see films solidly. You could easily piece together a five or six film day.
3: I think seven, even <sighs> you, you could you could easily do that. You could you could daisy chain it because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of like four and five hour films, but there's also a lot of like fifty minute and sixty minute films as well. Mm-hmm. So. You know, it's, got, it's, the, it's the entire gamut.
2: And who needs to eat, frankly. Indeed. But then the FOMA would be that you miss out on all the other cool stuff that they're doing here at the festival. Indeed. Already we're sitting here in the radio and podcast corner, which is a nice little nook as you walk into the main building. They have a merchandise store around the corner. I'd heard before that the Rotterdam Festival merch is you know, world-class. They have their Tiger logo and they're going to put that on everything. And I, I don't know, I'm definitely going to go home with something, I think.
3: <laughs> Yeah, no, it's very nice. This is the big festival centre called the Dolan, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, they they the sort of cinemas are sort of scattered around the city, um, not not too far away. Um, but yeah, the, all all the, all the venues for the festival are really really nice. Like they, they, they've all got their own little kind of unique energy and atmosphere to them. And uh, there's one big, but well, you know, you'd call it a multiplex, mm-hmm. a kind of pathé multiplex, but it doesn't doesn't really feel like a multiplex. It feels like a kind of huge. Spacious art house, kind of modernist thing mm-hmm. that's kind of nearby, and uh, it's 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 really interesting to go to a venue like that and see, you know, what what are what can only be described as very strange movies. Mm-hmm.
2: So this is our first full day here in Rotterdam. We have already seen a handful of films. because yep. we arrived sort of m- m- early afternoon on Thursday. What was our first film yesterday, David?
3: Was well, so we want, we we came here and we got our accreditation and then we we wandered into a into pretty much the first film that was was playing in the in, in one of the kind of closest screens and it was a film called Babai, right? And and it's a film that I knew nothing about mm-hmm. apart from its runtime and its director. Uh, I'm going to try and pronounce this Artem Azagliev. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a slowback film um, and it for me it's a real um um paragon of what we might expect of rotterdam film festival it's like you you're going in and you're really experiencing something new and strange and uh that's that's made by its own rules and off the grid of of the mainstream and uh it's it's this film about these two two boys, and they're kind of just one thing to add to, to begin with. The whole film is filmed in this weird kind of mid mid range focus. Mm-hmm. So you've you've got things out of focus in close up, and out of focus in in long shot, and you've got this little little tiny detail. You know, they they kind of crop into focus occasionally in in the mid range, so it's a, a challenging film to watch even just on an aesthetic level, even if the the subject matter is fairly simple. And it's just these two young boys, I think I believe they're yeah, two young brothers who are kind of experiencing life with grandparents and grandparents' friends, and you know, it's it's following them around as they're you know mucking about in playgrounds and being bored and strange things happen to them (laughs) and uh yeah it's got this very kind of narcotic quality and then it's easy to sort of like feel a bit sleepy while watching it and and potentially intentional by -hmm. the filmmaker and then all of a sudden there's there's some like graphic animal violence which again feels like a very rotterdam thing just like (laughs) you know drag you know just just sort of buck you up in your seat
2: Yes, well, and that vibe continued for me because we split up after that, and I saw a film called Dream Life. So that sleepy, indeed, <laughs> uh, sleepy uh, quality was continued there. It was a film by a guy who, I, as I understand it, is more of a installation artist making his first film called Melvin Motti and this was. Inspired by true stories of scientists who would go into deep caves somewhere in a remote region just to see what sensory deprivation on that scale would do to the human mind. And he, out of that inspiration, created this very strange art film where you have these fictional scenes of a scientist deep underground and the scientists who are monitoring him above ground and the dreamscapes that he goes through deep inside himself, deep inside the cosmos and what, what he thinks and learns from that and that just results in long monologues and again David, you, you talk about how it's very Rotterdam the thing that's very Rotterdam about this film is that uh, there's a long sequence where he develops a relationship with a mouse that's in the cave with him. And this mouse the director said afterwards he wanted the mouse to be a CGI creation but when he hit render on the uh, on, on the character in his in his computer the render time would be years. So he had to downscale the resolution in order to make it work. So wow. it looks like a PlayStation 1 character dancing around and talking to our hero about how babies uh, their baby's brains developed while asleep in the womb, so therefore we were born in a dream, and how do we know we'll ever wake up from such a dream? Oh, it's that old chestnut.
3: Is, <laughs> is this podcast a dream? I don't know.
2: I mean, is it, or is it a nightmare, David? <laughs> we shall see. But then at the same time, you went off-piste to one of the far-flung cinemas in yeah, the city. Yeah,
3: there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a really nice cinema called Lantern Venster, which is kind of... You have to travel across the big bridge to get to it, uh, across the dock, and... Um, it's yeah a really really lovely little cinema um well, well sort of more of a sort of art house cinema complex and i went and just caught a film called isadora's children by damien manivelle um it's a film that was a premiered at the locarno film festival in uh, 2019 and won the best director prize there and um just in general it's it, the, one of the other nice things about this festival is they they are picking up the kind of cream of s- some of the kind of smaller festivals around the globe. So it's a great place to catch up with, you know, lesser known art house films that maybe have played at local festivals, but maybe won't get a full theatrical Mm -hmm. release. Um, And so this, this film was really, really great. It's, it's essentially a kind of triptych film about three characters and how they've been inspired by the kind of pre-war era dancer, Isadora Duncan. Mm -hmm. Um, And specifically an episode in her life where her two children of age four and six Died when they they were in a car and it just randomly careened into the Seine and they both drown. And um, I think Duncan was sort of pondering this idea of whether she could create some kind of dance that was a kind of outlet of the emotion that she was feeling after that tragedy. And I guess it's all about this idea idea of interpretation. And we essentially see three modern interpretations of the dance. With added context as well, so you know we see a, a young dancer who has herself suffered from an accident and is uh, trying to get back into dancing, and, and uses uses this dance and this and, and reading about Duncan's life as a kind of ins- as a way for inspiration. And then we see a, a, a young girl being taught the dance by an older dance instructor, and then finally we see a an older woman who watches the dance and is is moved by it, and we we sort of see that she is experiencing her own sense of grief as well. But it's all done in a very sort of subtle way and there's, there's these little kind of connective things between the episodes and, yeah, it's just, it's just an amazing film about, you know, how we kind of take art and bring it to us and, you know, it, we see these things in different ways. The artists themselves, will, will, you know, they give us the art and we consume it, and you know, the, the, the flavor of the art is, is different for everyone. Mm. Um, I'm just sort of like scratching the surface really because I think it's something you could go really deep on. And wow. uh, when discussing things like interpretation and, and yeah, this question of how we engage with art,
2: wow, I really hope that makes it over to the UK. In yeah, some way.
3: I hope so. I hope so. I think, I think um, his first film called Le Parc, the director's first film. Wait, uh, was on Mo- I saw that on movie. So. I saw that as well yes right um, and, it's, it, and, and it's a similar kind of thing because that yeah. film was like following people around mm. the park and this does a similar kind of daisy chain thing so yeah he's, he's a real talent I think All right,
2: keep an eye out for Isadora's children and then one film we both have seen as well is this film VHS yes, quite an, ab- an VHS yes. it's a pun that I'm, I'm growing to like, Yes, <laughs> maybe, I'm not fully liking it yet, I'm still a bit suspicious, but that speaks to the way the film was made and looks, right? It's this, a very VHS aesthetic, um, completely shot on VH, VHS and, and digi beta cameras, I hear. Indeed,
3: yeah, it's a kind of, it was almost like a kind of comic sketch montage mm-hmm. with that, that old chestnut, the kind of flicking channel effect. Or I think maybe it's like a video that has been taped over many, many times, so you kind of... Blurring from one aesthetic into the other. It reminds me a bit of that Harmony Corrine film Trash Humpers. Right. Um, in that it's kind of it's got that episodic vibe, but very, this one is very much written and it has lots of sketches and there's like comedians that you'll probably recognize and a few musical performances as well. And um, it, it's kind sort of doing funny, weird things with the uh, vintage aesthetic, but with sort of mod- modern jokes and, and modern humor, I think.
2: And as it progresses, you, there are little sort of chinks. In the superficial layer, where you see you know, the, the, the very immaculately coiffed 80s TV programs, and you can see the, the the sort of complications of maybe the Reagan era underneath, or certain themes leak through, like uh, references to global warming, uh, and <laughs> then also the, the maybe the selfie culture in a way, Indeed, because the yeah, yeah. frame narrative—it's interesting. It's a it's a found footage comedy film. That's quite yes. rare, isn't it? Yes, yes. Often yes. it's a horror movie found footage. Well,
3: by the end, it does kind of turn into a bit of a horror movie Mm. in a sort of a a bleak way in that you have like one one of the stories begins to sort of seep into all the other ones Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's like, it's well done, and, yeah. you know, we should mention the director.
2: Exactly,
1: we?
3: so the director is Jack Henry Robbins,
2: uh, surname shared with his father, Tim Robbins, who's also in this film, as is, I believe, Susan Sarandon, his mum. Yes, um, she, she makes a cameo as yeah, well. Yeah, uh, He has made a few films, and this is by no means his debut, and he's worked in this VHS, VHS space before, and we're very fortunate to be able to speak with him this morning, so let's cut to that interview.
0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: Jack, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I suppose... VHS, yeah, a great pun in the title there. All about puns. <laughs> it's a film.
4: I'm actually not. I don't lo- love puns. I don't. No, no, but uh, yeah, it's it's a it's an easy title to remember. Let's just say that.
2: Did you come up with that first or come up with that last?
4: <laughs> it was the first. I just wrote down VHS and wrote the entire movie. No, it was uh, kind of halfway through. Right. You know,
2: the film is made up of footage shot on VHS and Beta. Mm-hmm. Um, What's Where did the obsession with that aesthetic come from?
4: Well, I've been obsessed for a long time with uh, hunting down VHSs that I loved. I mean, the 1980s VHS was the first time that anyone could make a movie mm. that they wanted to make. So all of a sudden, people could make shows of yoga cats or uh, weird aerobics in their backyard or punk shows in their basement. Everyone was a producer all of a sudden. You know, you could make... Um, your ideas come true, and it led to the weirdest generation of content ever. It was the first real, in a way, in an iPhone, people started filming their lives and putting value on the mundane. and, and, um, and And I think I've been obsessed with old footage and kind of rummaging through stores for these kinds of weird videos for a long time. And, of course, there's now websites where you can see everything. But, you know, from an early age, I also filmed my life and I was obsessed with filming everything. So that's kind of the story of VHS. It's about a 12-year-old kid who records over his parents' wedding tape. Mm -hmm. So the movie Mm -hmm. is the tape getting recorded over, and you're watching it in real time. Uh, And the tape's getting recorded over the same week that his parents' marriage is falling apart. So it's this weird juxtaposition between the past, the present, the future. Not really the future, but past and present. And kind of also what he watches in late-night television, how it uh, influences his life. And it's a comedy, so mm-hmm. that's the other thing. <laughs> yeah, we,
2: we were saying just, just earlier how it's very rare to have a found footage film that's not in the horror genre. Mm-hmm. And that's something that is at least presenting itself early on as a comedy. Yeah. It's is quite unique. Yeah. And I was thinking... Um, Often when we see tributes to the VHS era or the 80s, it's personal nostalgia on the part of the filmmaker, but you're more of a late 80s kid, I Mm -hmm. imagine. Um, But it's very specifically set in the final dying days of 1987. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose that period in that era?
4: Well, I found it a really uh, interesting time historically, uh, just politically too. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of political references as well, but also it's kind of the dying age of VHS. It was before, you know, VHS was personal camcorders were kind of on the way out around 92 you know i didn't really want to go into the grunge era i kind of liked the like late 80s aerobics Mm -hmm. world you know what i mean um reagan you know kind of the end of reagan and stuff so i I was kind of just chose that date which is funny enough a little bit before i was born Mm -hmm. um which some people have given me trouble about but the truth is is like Directors make Victorian movies. They weren't around in Victorian times. Like, exactly. It's like a four-year difference. Give me a break. But, um, yeah, I was just always kind of fascinated with that time and just aesthetically, you know, everything shot on a camera that was around from that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I just thought that it kind of fit uh, the, the content I was looking for. Because 90s content started to be a little different, you know what right. I mean? Right. There's a certain kind of good-bad that exists in the <laughs> '80s, uh, late mid to late '80s. Exactly, and the the way
2: the film presents itself is this crazy montage. This uh, this video that's been taped over multiple TV channels, multiple strands of reality, and within that you have a huge ensemble cast of yeah. some familiar faces from the comedy circuits and people may have seen elsewhere. How did you go about sort of wrangling that cast, but also keeping all those? Threads in mind, and then putting them all together.
4: Well, we got so lucky. You know, um, it all kind of started. So it started out, we got into Sundance literally as a joke. We made a porno about climate change called Hot Winter. Right. And we applied to Sundance as a joke and we got in, uh, which was not a joke because we had to go. <laughs> and uh, that movie was shown to Carrie Kenny from the state and from Reno 911 and she agreed to do Painting with Joan which is also in the film Mm -hmm. so these two shorts kind of gave birth to the movie and once we had Carrie we were able to convince Thomas Lennon who's also in Reno 911 he actually just donated to our Kickstarter for the movie and then we just kind of were like oh my god what did he actually do a part and then everyone else we kind of just got lucky Mark Proshk, who's a genius who's um, you might know from Adult Swim I had done a with him and I've always wanted to work with him and I pretty much told him all the parts and I was like you can choose whatever. So it was kind of about finding parts that were perfect for people and we all of our first choices said yes. We got really lucky and um, we wanted people who were genius like comedy people but weren't super, super famous. Mm-hmm. Because it because it is kind of a time capsule of the eighties, if all of a sudden you saw someone like extremely famous would really take you out. So I think that, um, you know, just working with people who I've admired as a kid, like uh, Carrie Kenny and Thomas Lennon, was such an amazing experience for me because it really kind of made me feel like, okay, you've actually kind of, in a way, uh, earned this and, and are making a movie that you would want to watch as a child. So. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. There's one, you know, a, a key exception to the, oh, yeah. to, to the f- you know, not seeing famous faces, and that's yeah, Tim mom. Tim. Well, Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon in this film. So, yeah, of course, the, there's the family connection. Mm-hmm. But then what's the thinking between placing them?
4: Uh, well, my you know? dad has a lot of prosthetics on. Yes. So his face isn't very... Mm-hmm. And then my mom kind of comes in for literally five seconds. Mm-hmm. I just kind of, that was just an ode to my life, which is just like, no matter what I do... Um, I'm connected to them forever so I just also I've always wanted them to be in my movies it's never really happened naturally Mm -hmm. my dad helped produce the movie um, and actually the guy who was going to play his part dropped out Uh, so we were like oh I wonder if we know anyone who could do this part and it's a very theatrical part so he was very good for it you know he has a big background in theater but yeah, of course, that is the exception. But it, to me, it's just a little more of a mind fuck than anything that all of a sudden Susan is <laughs> in it for three seconds. Exactly. And then out.
2: <laughs> well, that's part of the joy of it, right? Where mm-hmm. you're watching these. You know, some faces are familiar. Maybe you've seen them in supporting roles. Maybe they're, they're, they're performers you may have seen on a comedy circuit, and here they are in a different context. It's it's all part of the fun of the film, isn't it? Mm-hmm. When we often see. 80s the 80s uh, period in, on film it's often seen through say genre eyes mm-hmm. this one this film has a very interesting approach to genre in the way that it is comedy certain elements of horror, horror paranormal there are it spoofs cop shows mm-hmm. did you want to just take the whole of that era and have it represented in this film or, or did you have a single route through
4: well I think that TV is always the kind of brain or gut of a moment. Mm-hmm. So if you turned on your TV in 1995, everything from the paranoid commercials you're going to see to the news to the comedy that is purchased as a one-off season of whatever comedy that exists on television. That's all the mind of a generation of a time of commerce of mm-hmm. So I think that through television you can naturally go through genres. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that remains is the fact that it all existed at one time and what I love about the movie is the heart of the film so it follows this kid who the story of his parents is a I think a universal story that's I think what makes this a movie and not Mm. just a sketch show is the fact that you through very subtle storytelling techniques tell the story of this kid's family kind of struggling um, and I think that that's what makes it a movie instead of just a sketch compilation, and that's what we really had to work towards mm-hmm. to make this movie stand out. But yeah, I mean, I just see TV as kind of a genre bending thing in the general. You know what I mean? If you were, to, it's less now because cable's kind of less prominence. Like, but you know, back in the 2000s or 90s, you know, you turn on your television, just go up and down, you're gonna learn so much about the brain trust of society. I always see in like in America, if you actually want to know what's going on in the minds of the really rich people, watch the Super Bowl. Hmm. Cause every one of those Super Bowl commercials was researched and they're saying that this is what people want. This is what's in the subconscious of America. That's what the Super Bowl commercials are. So you watch those Super Bowl commercials and, like, you know, after 9-11, it was like, okay, we're strong, we're American. You know, after Trump was elected, it's like everything was kind of more funny and kind of like, it's okay, like, you know, it, 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 we can still have fun, you know what I mean? so it's really interesting kind of, and it, it kind of goes with this, like what's on TV is the mind of a nation, and I think that that's kind of what allowed me to go into so many genres, you know? Yeah,
2: that, that does really work, and the way as well that people look at they look at YouTube or the invention of the iPhone as the point where this postmodern uh, you know, uh, society where video content is just completely in conflict with each other and we're, we don 't have linear television or linear lives anymore, but mm-hmm. actually that might have started with the advent of the VHS in the '80s instead, and mm. I think you tease that out really well mm-hmm. I suppose to, to wrap up. We're here in Rotterdam. Mm-hmm. You have you've screened your film last night. Mm-hmm. Have you had any highlights of the city, the festival so far? Oh,
4: my God. Last night, if my voice feels a little weak, it's because we were out dancing until 4 a.m. at a place called Worm. Right. Which I love it. The, the titles of places here are amazing. And uh, it was really fun. I, it was a place where you go around a corner and there's an art installation, and I thought it was so fun. But also... Uh, really enjoy we, we went on a long walk and checked out the architecture and the beauty here it's really nice mm-hmm. um checked out the coffee shops checked out the architecture mm-hmm. the architecture <laughs> <laughs> uh, no but it's it's been it's been really fun i i you know it's funny when you first visit a place right if you're not smart you end up in the city center and you think that that's the city right but so for the first hour we were here, we are like, is Rotterdam cool? You know, because mm-hmm. we were just on one street and it was all commerce and tall buildings. And we're like, oh, man, this is brutal. And then we smoked a joint and then started really actually like, whoa, like this is amazing. And we actually went off the beaten path a mile and just checked out these beautiful uh, places and these canals. And I, I really dig this city. It's really cool. And I'm glad we're here, man. We're going to try to check out a... A soccer game on Saturday.
2: Oh, right. Feyenoord, the, the team. Feyenoord right?
4: is away. Uh, so we're going to go to Sparta. Okay. So uh, we're going to go and try to just get into one of those games. So.
2: Well, I hope you enjoy it. Oh, thanks, thanks so much, so much for, for your yep. time. So the film
4: VHS out in the States right now? Out in the States uh, hits VOD oh. on 3.3 yeah. and you can pre-order it and uh, I think we're going to probably be screening in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, it's a ride. It's best seen with people. It's best seen either tipsy or you know it's it's a it's a you know it's an event it's mm-hmm. fun so well thank you for joining yeah, us thanks today. for having me
2: cheers yes that was jack henry robbins there speaking with me here in podcast corner david any expectations or things you're looking forward to today um
3: i've got a whole bunch of films to see after this a lot of them i've got no idea what I, what to expect i, I try and i go off the pictures in the in the guide more than the write-ups oh wow okay yeah. so that's
2: a nice little insight into the way your brain works yeah eh?
3: yeah yeah it might be laziness or it might just be a kind of poetic intuitiveness i don't know but um yeah i'm, tr- I'm gonna tr- i think with a festival like this i just want to basically dive in and know as little about what i'm about to see as possible okay
2: well we'll be back soon with more reactions and interviews from rotterdam for now thank you for listening, listeners. David, thank you for joining me. Thank you. I'm Michaelita, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital Production.
1: Hold up.